Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Bible in Order, where we are chronologically going through the entire Bible in one year. Today's reading for November 3rd is Mark 11 and John chapter 12. We're going to focus on John 12 today because a lot of the scriptures overlap, but John's has a little more detail. Many of the events that we're covering today in these two chapters are covered in Matthew and Luke as well. John 12 begins six days before the Passover, less than a week now before Jesus is going to be handed over to be crucified. He travels back to Bethany, where Mary and Martha and Lazarus live. Lazarus, of course, he had raised from the dead. Mary took expensive perfume and anointed Jesus' feet with it so that the fragrance filled the entire house, and then she, cl she wiped his feet with her hair. Judas Iscariot was there saying, why wasn't that sold and the money given to the poor? That was worth probably $50,000 in today's money. But Judas didn't care about the poor. He was saying that because he was a thief and he was also the treasurer for Jesus' disciples and their traveling party. And Judas liked to keep the money for himself. Jesus knew exactly where Judas' heart was. Don't condemn her. She's anointing me for my burial. And yet Jesus was always kind to Judas, knowing what Judas was going to do to him, to betray him. Jesus allowed it to happen. He went along with it. He even told Judas to go out and do what you're going to do. Do it quickly, because Satan had filled him. And yet Jesus was humble. He was meek. He was in submission to the plan that God had for him. He was going to drink that cup that had been poured for him. And Judas, despite seeing the dead raise, the lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear, despite all of these things, he was still wicked in his heart and selfish. But Jesus was still kind to him. A large crowd of people began to gather there, not only to see Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And so the chief priests and the Pharisees began to plot how they might not only kill Jesus, but also kill Lazarus. In their depraved thoughts, the futility of their ignorance, Jesus raised this man from the dead, and because this man's life being resurrected was causing people to believe in Jesus, the fact that he had come from God the Father, the creator of all things, they plot to kill? Like they want to destroy the evidence? Like Jesus couldn't raise him from the dead a second time? It reminds me of the second psalm, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? That psalm goes on to say that God laughs at them. I see this picture of an incredulous God. You deny that I made you. I send you my son and you kill him too. He came once as a lamb, as a sacrifice, but he'll come back as a roaring lion and no one will stand against him. You're plotting in vain. You cannot defeat the God of the universe. What are you thinking? But we see it playing out in the world today. People seek to destroy truth. They plot in vain. Let us not be like them. Let us have nothing to do with them. Let us not be swayed by them. Be very careful what information sources you gather from. Pray to the Lord of all creation and ask for 
the spiritual gift of discernment that you would know that you would have that check in your spirit when you begin consuming media that is not true. May you recognize immediately that it's not true and turn it off. Don't poison your mind with untruth because before you know it, you find yourself raging and plotting against God and there's no hope in that ending well. You just can't win against God. The only hope is to submit to him and join his team. The next day when the large crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took palm branches and went out to meet him and they kept shouting, Hosanna, which means Lord save, before it had been a cry, a desperate cry for help. But now it's this praise, blessed is he who comes in the name of Yahweh. But what's interesting is those date palm tree branches, those leafy fronds that they were cutting and laying on the ground before him, and they were waving them in the air. The scientific name of that date palm is the phoenix. Of course, there's that mythological creature, a phoenix, that is known for its resurrection power, how it rises from the ashes. And we have nothing to do with Greek or any other kind of mythology, but certainly it's no coincidence that the name of the date palm tree is the same as that of the phoenix. Phoenix was also a city in Greece. Some of your Bibles might call it Phoenicia. And in Acts 27, when Paul was out at sea striving against the storm and they were in danger of shipwreck, they were trying to get to the port city of Phoenix on the Isle of Crete. It was a refuge in the storm. Palm trees are known for their resilience. When a massive hurricane comes to land from sea, it can level buildings and cell phone towers and turn over cars and the streets can be flooded. There will be massive storm surges sometimes that completely devastate everything except for the palm trees. They are known for their strength, their resilience. They are a symbol of victory and overcoming. This Greek word used in John 12, 13 is only used in two other places in the Bible. One is in Acts 27, talking about the city of Phoenix, and the other is in Revelation 7, 9. Right after the sealing of the 144,000, John wrote, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches, phoenix, in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. It's in that vein that we can skip ahead to verse 37 of John 12. Even though he had performed so many signs in their presence, they did not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet who had said, 
Lord, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? They were unable to believe because as Isaiah had prophesied, God has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so that they would not see and they would not understand or else they would turn and he would heal them. And the question arises in our minds and in our hearts, how could God do that? Why would God harden their hearts? Why would God make them blind? Why did Jesus speak in parables so that the people did not understand? And there are two answers to that very important question that come to mind. And the first is, these people simply did not want to know the truth. And none of us really want it apart from a special measure of God's grace being revealed in us. But when he opens our eyes and he opens our ears, we desire it. We desire it more. But some people are so resistant that they just don't. The second thing that comes to mind is pointed out right here for us in verse 41. Isaiah said these things because he had seen the glory of God and he wrote about what he saw. It's easy for us to become puffed up in pride when we're not seeing the glory of God. When we're not confronted with his majesty, it's very, it's very easy for us to think more highly of ourselves than we should. But remember, God hates pride. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If we are puffed up in our arrogance, God will humble, just as he humbled those people who had crucified the Son of God himself. Proverbs 16, 4 says, God created everything for his purpose, even the wicked for the day of destruction. God is sovereign. He can do whatever he wants. We all belong to him. The moon, the sun, the stars, the universe all belong to him. We play by his rules. Easy to forget that, but when you are caught up into heaven like Isaiah was and you stand before the throne of God and you see the seraphim worshiping him, crying out, holy, 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 and you feel the weight of the glory of the God of all creation and you are confronted with that and how weak and sinful we are as peoples before this mighty and holy all-powerful, all-knowing God, at best we can cry out like Isaiah did, woe unto me, I am undone. Like when Job got a little puffed up in his pride and God came down and asked him, where were you, Job, when I created the heavens and the earth? When I formed the sea and the shoreline and said, you can come here, but no further. Have you seen the heavenly storehouses? laden with snow. He doesn't need our permission to act or to plan. And yet the mystery that's confounding to me is he wants to be our friends. He wants to partner with us. He definitely does not need us. And yet he invites us. And his humility says, come and partner with me. His humility says, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. His humility says Jesus was the firstborn among many brothers, that all-inclusive term referring to men and women. In verse 46, Jesus says, I have come as a light into the world so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness. 
friends, in this shaking, in this final hour, Jesus is saying, and the Holy Spirit is confirming, if you believe in him, you cannot remain in darkness. This is a time for the church, the body of Christ, the ecclesia to rise up, to cleanse itself, to remove the filth and the mire and the sin that so easily entangles, that keeps us from running the race that is marked out before us. We need to understand that our time is not our own. We belong to him. And it is so much better to invest our time praying with him for the world, prophesying to our prodigal children, come forth like Lazarus, come out of the grave, come out of the grave of sin and death in this world and rise up in spiritual life. We should be speaking this over our children and over our neighbors, over our colleagues, over our politicians, proclaiming life, speaking life, coming out of darkness. The church is going into a shaking right now. The same way that Jesus cleansed the temple that we're reading in these chapters over the past several days and including today, it's a reminder that judgment starts with the house of God. And when you see worldwide Christian leaders falling to temptation or even being accused of it, pray for them, pray for their families, pray for their victims and their victims' families, pray for the unity of the church, pray for the people who followed those ministries, who spiritually benefited from those ministry leaders, pray for them, intercede. Be busy about the calling that God has placed on your life. Jesus is returning for a spotless bride without blemish, without wrinkle, or any such thing, it says in Ephesians 5. We, as the body, as his bride who are preparing ourselves to come, must rid ourselves of the wrinkle, of the shadows of sin, of the darkness, of the spot. Any such thing preventing his return, let's get ourselves together so that he can come back. Let's come fully into the light for the glory of God so that we're not shipwrecking the faith of those around us. God bless you, my friends. Thank you for being on this journey with me. It is such an honor. And for those of you who are interested, I am a real estate agent in North Carolina, South Carolina, and actively serving Southwest Florida with Call It Closed International Realty. I'm also building a team of premier real estate agents all around the country and eventually the world. You can reach me at agentdaviddoty.com.